Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Sure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 podcast kit, visit shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com. And by listeners like you. Hi, I'm John Canemaker, author, animator, blah, 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 and I'm welcoming you to the Skull Rock Podcast. Welcome. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast, the show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week, we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's in theaters, and what's going on in the universe of entertainment. I'm musician Al John Go, longtime Marvel, Disney, and Star Wars fan and pop culturist. And you can email me, Aljohn, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Al John, how are you today? I'm doing great. Fall is here and it's almost sweater weather. I'm loving it. I know. The end of the summer is uh, just days away. And uh, I'm actually uh, broadcasting from beautiful Napa Valley, yeah. where the uh, the harvest is in process. <laughs> it's good. Another season, hopefully, of really good grapes, really good wine to follow. So I'm looking forward to that. I always love our Napa Valley wines. I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well. And I really uh, uh, hope everybody is looking forward to our final episode with dave spafford whoa we're gonna this is episode five it's unbelievable dave is going to be talking about his wild parties that he had uh, his infamous animation parties he's going to be talking about what he's up to today uh what he's working on and uh it's just been an unbelievable unprecedented uh five episodes with dave spafford what a run, you know, he's a great storyteller and he just tells it like it is. And I think a lot of people wish they would have converted um, some of their home or their garage into a, uh, a little speakeasy, but he actually did it. And I can't wait to uh, delve into that with him and talk more about the behind the scenes of some of these films. I mean, it's been really great uh, just to uncover all of it. He just he loves to tell stories and I, I'm here for it. Yeah, no, he's really terrific. He's a super talented guy. And uh, I think our audience has really been enjoying it. We've been getting uh, great feedback. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad the feedback is coming in. And, uh, you know, if you have any of that stuff to read, that's awesome. You know, right now, Dave is in stealth mode. 
typically we we're able to see each other, but since he's over there in, in the hotel in, in Napa Valley, we're, we're, he's going to kind of mime it to me. <laughs> Let me know what's going on over there. But uh, I, I, it's absolutely crazy. Uh, I'm in a brand new hotel and, and the Wi-Fi is absolutely terrible. Oh, oh, I, I know the feeling. I used to live out of these types of hotels, Dave, and uh, yeah, no bueno. But I tell you what is bueno um, before we get into the news and such and our interview. Uh, I have to say that uh, I've got your book. It is proudly displayed behind me, the house of the future. And I can't wait to delve into that. And I, I understand that uh, you finally got uh, your book, the nightmare before Christmas, uh, the anniversary edition. And that's awesome. Yep. I've got that. And uh, you'll be getting a copy of it this coming week, Al John. Oh, wow. Uh, I I'm absolutely thrilled with it. And, and by the way, you know, before we go into all of that, I did want to uh, read one uh, a particular email that really struck me that we received from one of our listeners. Okay. And, and, and it's from Michael in Nevada. And he says, we are really enjoying the stories from Dave Spafford. He must've been fun to work with you and Al John make such a great team. We really appreciate everything you share with your audience. Um, and he goes on to say, that uh, the Skull Rock podcast has really helped us to continue to gain knowledge about Disney and pop culture. And, uh, and he just thanks us uh, for the great show we're doing. Oh, that is, that is an amazing email. Thank you so much. And we appreciate you very much for listening and supporting our show. And uh, I encourage everybody to just reach out and let us know how we're doing and how, um, what kind of guests and what kind of show topics. I think some of our, our best shows are based on listener feedback. So please keep it coming. Uh, yeah, and, they, yeah, they really, they really are. And, uh, you know, Al John, we have so many incredible guests lined up. We, we have so many interviews already in the can. Uh, and, and it's amazing that we've been able to keep this show going as a weekly show. Yeah, You know, so, so many podcasts, they do 10 or 12 episodes and then you don't hear from them for months and months on end. Uh, we're doing this weekly because we love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a highlight of my week. I really enjoy the time I get to spend with you and our guests, Dave. And I think uh, I, I'm glad our listeners do, too. I mean, it's a passion project. You know, no one's getting millions of dollars for this podcast. But I tell you, just the fact that y people people listen and they enjoy our content makes, makes it worthwhile. So thank you guys and gals. Yeah. For and, and you know something, Al John, that's one of the reasons why I think the show has become so successful is that we're not beholden to anybody. We're doing this because we want to do it because yeah. we're having fun doing it. Yeah, exactly. And besides, I like to catch up with, with Dave, the boss himself every single week uh, and then talk about this. So in the future, yes, we're going to talk about these books, man. These books are amazing. I can't wait for people to go ahead and get them. Now there are links in our show notes. If you want to go get them through Dave's website or you can get them through Amazon or your local bookseller, please do that. Support your local bookseller. So um, please do that. Now uh, that's some listener email. And I guess right now uh, we should go ahead and launch into what we've been checking out. This week, 
Dave, it's been a been a crazy week, you know. Um, I kind of got wrapped up in the nostalgia and and kind of the remembrance of nine eleven. So I kind of watched some some footage and some mini documentaries, you know, about it because I always kind of I remember where I was during nine yeah. eleven. We were setting up, and maybe our listeners remember this story, but being in a rock band um, early in my my career, uh, I did a lot of shows for the USO. And we were on a loop doing doing a show, setting up for our first. Uh, this is not our first, but our second um, tour for the troops. And uh, we're in Bahrain, and we we set up shop, and we're getting ready to to do the show later that night. And the colonel of the base says, "Guys, we need to stop. Um, you know, we understand that the twin towers got hit, and uh, we're going to postpone the show." And then. You know, a couple hours later, says the tour is just suspended indefinitely. So we stayed there for about a week and a half. But mm. you know, in 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 Bahrain, but I, you know, we were we were there with the Marines and the Armed Forces, and we were well taken care of. But it was just a, you know, just one of those things. And I saw a lot of just footage and old news clips and things, and it kind of gets me back into that state of just shock and awe and just just unbelievable, just, um, overwhelming sometimes, you know, when I think about it, cause I, I know what happened. I tried calling my wife and, um, she was then my, my fiance, <laughs> you know, we just celebrated yeah. 20 years, Dave. Can you imagine that? Um, yeah. and it was just one of those things. So I, I watched a little bit of these news documentaries and stuff to commemorate nine 11. And, uh, it's something I will never forget. And to the first responders and, and all those victims, you know, you, your heart still goes out to them, you know? Absolutely. We're never going to forget that, you know? Yeah. But I I will tell you what I did watch. I Mm -hmm. did manage to, even though I'm traveling, uh, I did manage to get into, see a movie. Okay. It's the inventor. Yeah. Uh, And I had the opportunity to see an advanced screening of the inventor, uh, which is a feature animated film. And I loved it, Al John. Mm -hmm. The film is mostly stop motion with some hand drawn sequences. It's written and directed by a friend and former Disney colleague, Jim Capobianco, who also wrote Ratatouille up at Pixar. Yes. Yeah. And uh, the story centers on Leonardo da Vinci, the artist inventor of flying contraptions, war machines, studying cadavers and so on. And he tackles the meaning of life itself with the help of a French princess. This is a beautifully handcrafted movie that will evoke memories of the Rankin and Bass holiday specials. And it and it really is, Al John, it's a, a true family movie. There is nothing in this film that's objectionable to parents. And, you know, and I feel like I need to say that because of what happened with, you know, the release of Lightyear last year or the year before, whatever that was. And then, um, you know, the controversy swirling around Strange World and other films that, uh, you know, some parents are finding uh, material in being objectionable. This film, The Inventor, has none of that. It is absolutely a heartwarming, true family film. And by the way, several of the artists and production members who worked on um, The Inventor also uh, had worked on the Nightmare Before Christmas movie. And guess who the executive producer of The Inventor is? Oh, I know who it is. Go ahead and tell everybody. 
Not, not, none other than Don Hahn, yeah. our, our, our friend, uh, friend of the show. And he's been on the show multiple times. Um, the inventor opened this past weekend in theaters. And I would just tell our listeners, if you want to see a beautifully handcrafted film, uh, see this on the big screen, go to the movie theater and support this movie. It's an independent animated film and it's just a really sweet, heartwarming family film. So please go out and see that. Um, The other thing that I watched this past week was just keeping up with Ahsoka uh, on Disney plus. uh, And I'm totally enjoying it. And also uh, Nancy and I watched killing it on Peacock. Oh, okay. And you know, killing it stars, Craig Robinson, uh, who was on the office. He played, uh, you know, the, the warehouse guy, uh, on the office. Yes. Yeah. And he's funny as hell. This is an absolutely hilarious, um, series called killing it. And I highly recommend it. It's on Peacock. So watch that. And that's really all I've been able to watch this week because of, uh, just a heavy schedule and doing some traveling. Yeah. And you're promoting your books. So I get that as well. Well, yeah, I'm like you, Dave. Um, I saw a few things this week. Uh, one of them of course is catching up with Ahsoka, and this is where the real fun begins. Star Wars fans. Um, this past week, if, if you're caught up, Dave, I'll just simply say that it was, it was something else. Steep to yeah. steep in lore. Uh, this series and many others that uh, Filoni and Favreau have done in collective um, didn't did not avoid the the prequel trilogy, which is something that, uh, for a lack of a better term, Disney Star Wars had tried to do with the sequel trilogy with Daisy Ridley. Speaking of Daisy Ridley and the Inventor, she's also been a part of that film, but. They are going back to some great source material from George Lucas, bringing it to life, bringing some animated scenes back to life and adding to the lore and what we know about the characters that you think you know about. So I really, really appreciate that. And I am looking forward to it. I'm so glad they started doing these fan screenings like we talked about last week of Ahsoka, because I I think it's definitely very cinematic in scope and, um, I would love to see, you know, the Dave Filoni film. I think every other Star Wars film project and, and streaming project, except for the a couple of them are, are on hold. And I'm looking forward to seeing what Dave Filoni is putting, putting out there for his film. Um, I also was able to see this movie Synchronic. And this movie is a, a, a film about... Um, uh, two New Orleans paramedics' lives are ripped apart after they encounter a series of horrific deaths linked to a designer drug with bizarre, otherworldly effects. And Anthony Mackie stars in it. Um, you know, he's uh, Captain America. You know him as the Fal- Falcon in the Marvel films. He's also uh, co-stars Jamie Doran Dennis from Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, great pairing there. And, you know, you take this this um, street drug and you go back in time in certain places in time. It's not a hallucination in this case. And he goes back to try to find um, his paramedics uh, girlfriend that got lost in time. And there are little clues. And so this is a, 
a little bit of the butterfly effect meets somewhere in time meets, you know, a bunch of different types of, you know, the time machine, uh, there, there are shades of that. And it's really, I think it was really intriguing for me and I enjoyed it. So, uh, if you love Anthony Mackie and his acting and just a really strange time, uh, time, uh, premise, you'll like synchronic, check it out. Um, and that's pretty much what I watched, Dave. Awesome. Yeah. It was kind of a light week for both of us. A little bit of a light week. Yes, I will say. And uh, once again, send us those emails and maybe we can check out what you guys have been um, seeing and streaming and maybe talk about it in an upcoming episode. Skull Rock Podcast. This week in Disney and pop culture. In the strange tale of will they or won't they, Disney... Bob, are you going to sell the? Are you going to sell ABC or not? And according to the Hollywood Reporter, Disney says it has made no decision on selling ABC, but is open to strategic options. According to the Hollywood Reporter, Dave, you sent me this article. There's a lot of talk about them unloading ABC, and of course, they've been talking about unloading ESPN for years. Uh, where are we at here? You know, I I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen with uh, ABC. I do think um, that they're going to have to do something because linear television is declining. It's in it's in a perpetual decline uh, and they're going to have to figure out some way of uh, enhancing this network or doing something with it. Now, um, uh, there's been lots of speculation um, and I think it's kind of sad in a way, just from a historical standpoint, because, you know, ABC helped uh, Walt Disney get uh, Disneyland off the ground. Uh, and so there's a long, long history between ABC and Capital Cities, which owned ABC, which Disney eventually purchased, you know, and Bob Iger, uh, who started out as a weatherman uh, on uh, an ABC uh, channel. Mm -hmm. uh, in New York, you know, uh, in early in his career. So there, there's an awful lot of history there, but, you know, at some point, somebody has got to look at this through the lens of business and figure out what they need to do, uh, because it is a declining business, but that leads us to our next story. Al John certainly does. Um, you know, we've got, Disney and what's up with Freeform. You know, Freeform used to be ABC Family. Um, it was dropped from Charter. Disney's deal with the pay TV giant suggests that in accelerated cord-cutting era, no channel is truly safe. Um, this right around the time that Freeform, I believe, is very popular because they host those uh, 31 Days of Halloween uh, specials and things of that nature there. But Freeform, the Disney-owned cable channel that caters to younger women, was dropped from Spectrum Channel lineups as part of Disney's Disney's landmark deal with Charter Communications. It was no small decision. With Freeform in some 74 million homes at the end of last year, which charters nearly 15 million cable TV households no longer having access. And there you have it, Dave. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. So you wonder what's going to happen with that channel because it was dropped from uh, the Spectrum bundle. Yeah. I, you know, what are they going to do? Yeah. I mean, they have a whole lot of programming and different things like that. Um, you know that a lot of the content from Freeform and uh, uh, you know is on Hulu and uh, makes its way to Disney Plus. So, yeah, this is a interesting one. 
the channel is kind of left in that because uh, the the channel lives because of the the licensing agreements and and the you know and the money that it brings in. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with it. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I'll tell you what's interesting is that their whole charter dispute. You know, I mean, they they're able to get Disney back on there. You know, you and I message each other when they did that. And I'm glad they kind of came to a decision finally. But uh, you know, but it I didn't guess- you know, it didn't really solve the issue. No. You know, uh, I mean, everybody thought that, um, you know, the dispute with Spectrum and Disney uh, somehow was going to uh, in some way reinvent the, um, you know, the T the cable bundle, the TV cable bundle. Uh, and none of that ha- actually came to play. They just kind of resolved their differences to get the channels back on in time for Monday night football. Yeah. That's important, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's it's the number one show on television, you know, live yeah. action sports and just, you know, the NFL branding and all that stuff is so important to the lifeblood of of the affiliates to the uh, to the network, um, because you, you it's one of those things that, you know, time shifted sports just isn't a thing. People watch their sports in real time as it occurs. So that's important. Well, we'll see. I tell you what I wasn't expecting to see is, uh, according to Fortune magazine, uh, Byron Allen, one of America's most prominent businessmen, just reportedly bid on $10 billion for broadcasting giant ABC in a bold move that would cap a stunning M&A record. Now, I know Byron Allen as being a uh, former late-night talk show host, TV personality, very likable, always liked Byron Allen. Um and I, I, I forgot that he was such a, a, a media mogul, if you will. I, I, honestly, Al John, I think he, he's even more successful as a media mogul than he was as a television personality. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's he, he's sitting here, you know, making a ten billion dollar bid for ABC. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see what Disney's uh, reaction uh, and response is going to be to this unsolicited bid from Byron Allen. Gosh, Byron um, makes me want to see what else you can you can do because uh, <laughs> he's completely likable and what a smart guy. Allen yeah. Media Group is, is is so successful, but I think you know he definitely could turn it around. And he spent his life on television, and uh, you know I, I I can't wait. It was just very interesting to see that pop up. You know, that's a lot. That is a lot. I mean, uh, it says here, pulling off this deal would cap a raft of recent acquisitions for Allen, who may have seemed an unlikely mogul when he debuted on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show in 1979 as an 18-year-old comic. But he transitioned to talent to executive in the early 90s. And how about that? I mean, um, he is just he, he's just amazing. So, of course, on Fortune uh, 5 or the Fortune magazine, you can read that uh, article on Byron Allen. Surprised. Uh, how about this, Dave? Box office news. A Haunting in Venice, uh, $5.5 million opening day. The Nun 2 contends for number one. It is, uh, you know, it's fall. It's sweater weather time. You're moving into the Halloween uh, era here, coming soon. And, of course, I would think that The Nun would be doing really well in the box office. But, uh, you know, there you go. Uh, Kenneth Branagh's uh, Haunting in Venice, uh, 
opened a very quiet box office. The Horror Tinge Who Done It scored five point five million. Um, there you have it. And then, of course, there is uh, uh, let's see, The Nun Two, um, doing pretty well uh, there. Uh, let's see, four point three million dollars on Friday, pushing it to a fifty-five million domestic gross through the weekend. And Equalizer Three. Uh, is in third place, projecting $7.3 million to the domestic total of $73 million. Not too shabby there for the action film. So, no, it's uh, a great film. I'd encourage people to go out and see that. Denzel Washington's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, there's no numbers. We're not seeing any numbers on The Inventor, which opened this past weekend. So, uh, again, I would just tell people it's a wonderful family film. Get out to the theaters and see it with your uh, with your loved ones. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's important to just support a family film like this because it shows Hollywood that there is um, there is room for this type of content on there. You know, it doesn't have to be over the top. Um, it can just be wholesome. There's something to be there's something to be said about a good wholesome family movie. Yeah, um, and by the way, I just want to give a little tease. I normally don't do this, but uh, Jim Capabianco, the director and writer of The Inventor, is going to be on uh, with us uh, next week. Oh, there you go. There you go. I'm, I can't wait for that. And I'm sure it's an awesome, very timely episode. So I can't wait to check that out. And I can't wait to check out the rest of the film. I was able to see portions of it and uh, I can't wait to show it for the entire family. They're going to love it. Anyway, that wraps up the news for this week. Surprisingly enough, I, I don't have any uh, I don't have any obituaries to talk about this week. But uh, well, that, that's actually kind of nice. That is that is kind of nice for a change. You know, you think about it, man. The past few weeks, man, we've lost a lot of giants in in the industry. So, uh, anyway, here we are uh, here right now. Dave Spafford for the last unprecedented fifth part sit down interview with the man himself. Uh, let's kick back and relax in your in your chair. Pull up a tasty beverage and enjoy this chat. The final chat with David Spafford right here on Skull Rock Podcast. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Al John, we are back for an unprecedented what? fifth. Yes, unprecedented Ooh. fifth episode <laughs> with master animator and incredibly talented artist, Dave Spafford. Dave, welcome back to the Skull Rock Podcast. All right, here we go. Yeah, the crowd's going nuts, and and I think social media is blowing up over some of these interviews. And I'm just having a ball listening to some of these stories because, you know, we, we both know a lot of the same people and a lot of the same players that were out there in the animation industry in the 90s and early 2000s. But but you started SPAF Animation. We, we heard about, uh, you know, the, the, the commercials and, and what you did on Space Jam. But um, how long was SPAF Animation in business for? Uh, we went all the way up to uh, working on Jack and Ben, which was a Jorn Klubian film up at Leica Studios. And that, that was around 2005, okay. six, six or something like that. And, and that kind of coincides with the transition into computer animation in the industry. Yeah, that was going to be a completely computer animation uh, film. And, uh, and yeah, that was uh, to me, 
was very difficult because they did not have the process of getting the characters in the computer the way Pixar did or anybody else. Yeah, but I mean, Leica was also doing stop motion. Right. right? They, were stop motion they, they were doing stop motion, but uh, and that's what they're known for. But but at that point, 2005, I mean, you know, Pixar had had a string of, of computer animation hits, right. uh, hit films. And, and it just seemed like Disney was starting to transition with doing Chicken Little and Meet the Robinsons and other films. Right. They were transitioning to doing computer generated films yeah, like a just didn't have the facility to do what anybody else was doing when it came for doing CG. They did not, uh, they did not have anything to scan the statue of a character. Um, the 3d scanning of the maquettes. Yeah. Uh, they, they had someone, they had some technician guy who would take your story, your, your character designs and then try to build that character with in, the wire. In, in, yeah, the 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 wireframe wire. uh, in three in three D space. Oh, yeah. And I I looked at I every time I looked at that I just went oh my god this has nothing to do with yeah. anything that I designed. And yeah. they I'm sitting there behind these people and I'm just going I can't do this. Yeah. But um, yeah, that was the last thing that last animated like feature thing that that I had anything to to do with um yeah that was that was the yeah after after that it it uh, man i was all over the i i went all over the place doing different stuff but um but but you pretty much got out of uh, animation or you closed down spaff animation at that yes. point yeah in 2006 i i shut it down and so you had a good decade plus run oh uh you know 12, 14 year run with. Spaff I never animation. had an interest in having a studio. It was all out of necessity. All right. I wanted to do was sit in a room at Disney for 70 years and, and get better and better and better and better. Just like Frank and Milt and Ollie and all those guys. That's all I wanted to do. I never wanted to be head of a studio. I didn't want the responsibility. I, uh, didn't want to be chasing the the equipment race. Well, you know? I, mean, I mean, look, running a studio is a whole different ball game because you become an administrator. You've got to deal with payroll. You've got to deal oh. with, uh, you know, all the paperwork that comes with running a business and, exactly. and all the headaches that come with running a business. I mean, it, yeah. it just, it, it becomes a lot, but um, uh let me let me ask you this. Uh, once you closed down Spaff Animation, did you continue to animate? Did you continue designing? Did you continue doing um, stuff on a freelance basis? Or were you kind of burnt out at that I point? Did. I, I did a couple things. Like I did a, I, w I was doing like specialty animation within live action films. Like, um, uh, let's see, what was uh, like 500 Days of Summer. Yeah. Uh, at the, the Officer's Wife. Yeah, there was there was the the five days of summer was like a little blue bluebird that came in. They're all the live action characters at the end of the film are walking down the street singing and a bluebird comes in and lands on his shoulder and, you know, and is kind of dancing around the the, the screen. Uh, we did that. Um, the, the, the Pink Panther, you were an animator on uh, with Kurt. Uh, uh, 
Bob Kurtz, who's been one of my best friends since I he's great. We've had him on the show. Yeah. I've been working with him since I was 19. Wow. Uh, I went into his studio one time with a videotape and said, um, God, it wasn't, it was a, it was a, a broadcast tape. So it wasn't even like a VHS. It was like a broadcast tape that I got that had animation. I had my animation on it and I, I walked in and, and, um, and I had this attitude where I was like, Oh God, help me. Get me out of here. I got to get out of this, uh, where, where I'm at, you know? And, uh, and he would, he used to give me commercials. Yeah. So I, I've been working on, I, I did so many commercials with Kurtz. Yeah. I would, I would like, so he would call me up even when I had my studio and said, Hey, I've got this thing. It's right up your alley. I, I just went, uh, let me, I'll come over. Uh, we'll do it. You so know. essentially you, you, you did freelance while you were running your own studio. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it was, I loved working with Bob. Bob was, well, you know, Bob, Bob's a great artist. He's like an artist artist. You know, he's somebody who, who gets everybody and he's just such a nice guy. I did. I worked on a ton of his commercials over uh, the years. He's, he's like, he, he's like one of my favorite people in the business. Yeah. Yeah. You he's know, he's just, a, he's always got a smile on his face. And his success story is because of the type of person he is. And it's, he'll live forever. You know, it's like, that guy is absolutely the best. So yeah, I did commercials for him. Um, uh, You know, uh, I, I, when I'm looking at your filmography, like the last entry is the officer's wife, 2010. Yeah, that was an, I met this guy. He, he said, look, I, I'm a filmmaker, you know, can I just have a meeting with you? Uh, you know? And I went, sure. And so this guy, his name was Piot. He came over and he goes, I'm making this film. It's about my grandmother. And, um, um, she's a whole, there's a whole, it was all about the Holocaust and, you know, and, uh, he goes, I want to tell her story being in the camps and everything. And it was like, and so he, he had no money. He had very little money. Yeah. And so we, we did it. It was almost like a, a moving storyboard kind of thing. Yeah. It was drawings of a map. And then you would see German tanks coming this way and everybody going this way. It was we did a lot of stuff as if it was, you're looking at it on a map, but you could see the people running, you know, and being captured and so, sure. but it was all from up above. It was really fun. Yeah. And, it, and the, the, the design came from what do we have time to animate? Yeah. And so, you know, it would be a, a held truck with just the dust coming off the back of the wheels, you know, looking down on it. And here's this truck just, plowing through this road, this dirt road. And and it was all that stuff. And, you know, and we did, we told the whole story of all the the horrific stuff in the camps and everything had to animate that, but it was all done with very little animation, more drawings with, you know, for instance, like you were doing sliding cells with some effects. Or like like there'd be like a guy that's just like disheveled, just sitting there, you know, after he's, been killing uh, yeah. Jewish people for 12 hours. You know, you the guy with, you know, 
like some soldier with a cigarette just blown out, you know, it would be the guy sitting there with just cigarette smoke coming off his cigarette. Right. Right. So a held cell and, and just the the, the minimal amount of animation. It was, it was fun, but that was also, uh, we had no time. And that was me. That was just me working with uh, JC Wegman, uh, who was working for me at the time. Um, Yeah. That was just two of us. Uh, That was fun. That was really fun, but not much animation. And and, and at that point you were kind of done with animation. Yeah. uh, Mainly because of CG. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't interested in doing any computer generated stuff. No, not. uh, I would have like, I did have an opportunity. um, I I was sitting in my room one day and I always draft on the side of my desk. I always have like paper and I'm, when I'm supposed to be working on something, I'm always daydreaming on, Oh, I'd rather be doing this. (laughs) And so I had this idea about um, these characters that end up seeing on TV, the wonderful world of color. And it was a bird, a squirrel and a mouse who were friends. And uh, they would go to this house and sit up in the windowsill to to talk to the bird's mother who was captured in a cage. While visiting her, they saw the wonderful world of color on TV where, you know, it was like, it's like, wow, they're giving the, look at they're feeding birds popcorn. It's like, what is, where is that? You know, and so they get it in their heads to go to wherever this place is. Because the squirrel's mother got killed, got shot. Uh, the, the mouse, everybody's always setting traps, trying to kill him and his family. And he had lost his family. And so it was these three characters who were just like going, uh, this isn't right here. Let's go where that is. And so I told the story to, I pitched it to John Pomeroy. And John said, you got to, you you right now have to pitch this to Roy. And I'm going, ah, how do I do that? And he goes, I, he goes, and he goes, I'll be right back in a minute. He hangs up. He calls up Roy and says, I'm bringing Dave Spafford over right now. You got to hear this story. And Roy went, uh, okay. I went over <laughs> which, there. Is, which is what Roy would have done. I, yeah. I mean, honestly, Roy was that kind of a person. He was always open to things. And so I, we went over there and pitched the story. Um, and he, he just went, wow, that just, that just, that just sounds like something we would do here. Yeah. And he goes, how do you see this done? Do you see it done at your studio? And I said, no, I said, I see it being done here. I said, give me three wings in the, in the original animation building. And he goes, (laughs) good luck with that. (laughs) Well, no, he, he goes, he goes, um, Bette Midler just moved out. I have three wings. And, and I'm like going, oh, he's actually thinking about, he's like going, this could be done. And he goes, he goes, how much do you think it would cost? Do you see this being done in your studio? And I said, not at all. I, I, I want it to be done here. All, all here, nothing at my studio. Yeah. And he goes, what, what do you what do you think it would cost? And I said, 17 million. He goes, that sounds pretty cheap. I said, well, I'm not talking about doing it the way it's done in the hat building. It wasn't a feature, was it? Or was it? Yeah, it was a feature. It's a feature. Okay. And I said, I wanted 
I wanted to do this with a small crew of if, artists, of artists. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, well, what makes you think you can do it? And I said, well, I've, I've, I've been working on Jungle Book 2. I worked on Pocahontas, Pocahontas 2. And we did sequences for those films where we did everything. And I charged you this much to do those sequences. Mm-hmm. So I took the number breaking down what that sequence cost us to make, mm-hmm. to make it. And, and then I doubled it and he goes, why, why did you double it? I said, because it's going to be, we're going to have some of your guys' producers and people going, Oh, well, we need to have a meeting. And he goes, I got say no more. I got it. <laughs> and, and I said, so I just doubled it. So he goes, he goes, you think you can make that film for, for 9 million? I said, if it was just me and the animators in your studio, you in probably your studio could. next to yeah. your wing and you're, yeah. you're, you're the guy in charge. Yes. Yeah. Because I've already done it at my studio. Well, and herein lies the big problem with what's going on in animation is these $150, $200 million budgets are ridiculous. It was out of control. Yeah. And so I just said, look, and I explained to him, this is this has been how I do the sequences for Disney at my studio. Yeah. And have, let me back up a little bit. When I handed in Pocahontas, they called me up and said, hey, could you come in? We'd like to talk to you. And I went, okay. And they went, I get in there, we have a meeting, and everybody's sitting around a table, and they're going, uh, we have to ask you, did you farm this out to other studios? And I went, no. They're going, how is it that you got this much done in this much time when we have a, we're using a studio in Japan to animate a, the sequence, and they have like 200 people, and you have 18 yeah. And you're doing more than they did. I'm going, well, we're all Disney animators. We're awake when you're awake. If I have a question or something about something in the thing, I call you up, you tell me and boom, it's it's fixed there. You have to have a translator call somebody in the morning and you lose a day and you lose a day. And it's all this stuff and it's confusing. Yeah. And then they end up doing it wrong because they didn't. The communication was wrong because the person that translated isn't an animator. And I said, that's why. Yeah. And they went, okay, okay. Well, we just had to ask you because, uh, I mean, man, you had. Uh, well, a lot, of, a lot of those folks came into animation in the 1990s and they True. just accepted the fact that people did two and three feet a week. Right. When the reality was that, you know, back in the day in the golden age, those guys were doing quite a bit of footage a week. I mean, you know, you back with the black and white cartoons of iWorks was legendary for doing like four or 500 drawings in a day. Oh, you know? yeah. Gr- granted it was a simple little mouse character. Well, but, he did like you know, a plane crazy in a, on a weekend or something. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and so, you know, obviously as, as the animation got more sophisticated and more complex, you know, that, f- that, that drawing count comes down, but still, I mean, three feet a week, that just seems a little on the low side. And then you get somebody like Mark Henn, who's working at a, you know, a, a normal pace for him. And he turned out what, you know, eight, 10 feet a week. 
Yeah. You know, he was always at the top of the leaderboard yeah. uh, in, in drawing. So, I, I mean, you know, the idea was that if you're really an artist and you know you're, what you're doing and you're you're at your desk and you're in the zone, you could turn out a lot of drawings. Right. Yeah, it was. I mean, as soon as I laid it down, like, no, this is this is how it is. I mean, I'm like, cause, and I'm going, did it not look good? It's like, are you They're going? No, no, it was great. It was great, but we were just they, like, they were just puzzled at how much footage you turned out in a time period. They did the same thing with me on Jungle Book Two. Jungle yeah. Book Two, they called the studio, called me up, and said, "Hey, can your studio do the backgrounds for Jungle Book 2? I'm going, uh, sure. They had just fired all of the background painters at Disney. That's when they had let all of them go. Right, right, and. So I got every one of those people together and I said, look, we've got an opportunity here to paint the backgrounds in Jungle Book 2. I'm going to hand over this. I'll supervise it, but I'm not going to take any of the money. I'm going to have all the money going to you because they let you guys go. They just fired you guys. And I was pissed about it. Yeah. So I said, I'm going to take the whole budget and, and we're going to, it's going to go to the, uh, to the background painters. And so, and I wasn't doing anything. I was just bringing in the stuff. Yeah, You were the go between. Yeah. Give me the layouts. Boom. Right. I, we weren't creating the layouts. We weren't doing anything. We were just taking layouts, doing the paintings. And, and I said, so how, how do you want these delivered? And they said, Oh, just give them to us on this certain file. And I'm going, okay. So I told, I got everybody together and I said, right, you have to be, this has to be a dead secret. If you talk to anybody, you're not going to get the money. I want you guys to have the money. Don't tell anybody what we're doing. As far as anybody knows, we are doing this in the computer. These are computer animated backgrounds. That's what they wanted. Right. All they said to me was, or what I asked them, because I knew that they were going to want this done in computer. I was like, well, so what, what files, how do you want, what files do you want delivered? Files, now they're going, oh, okay, it's computer. And they said, well, just these kind of files. And I went, okay, I can scan. I, I, I got a giant flatbed scanner, scanned every background at, at high res, put them on the desk, gave them to Disney. They were going, wow, these look great. You know, and we just kept bringing them. We were done we were completely done with the whole thing and the phone rings and they're going, Hey, uh, can we have a meeting with you? And I'm going, ah, shit. They tried to take one of them apart. <laughs> they tried to alter the color in one of the leaves or something like that. And so I'm going in, they're going, all right, how do I do this? How do I do this? Cause they're now they're not going to pay me, you know, cause that's the way they were. You know, oh, yeah, these are all great, but you didn't, they, they weren't computerized uh, backgrounds. Uh, so they weren't, we're not, they weren't layered. Yeah, we, we can't, we can't open these up. You know, they're worthless to us. So we're not paying you. That's what I thought I was heading for. They, I get there and they have a, they have one blown up on a giant screen. Yeah. And I'm like going, wow, that looks good. And they're going, we, we just, we, we have to ask you this. And they, we, they got all of the, the CG background painters together and they're going, 
how are you doing this wash right here on the background? There's like going, oh, my God, that how, how, they're going. Do you mind us asking you, do you custom make your own brushes in Photoshop? And I went, absolutely not. That to me was a question. Right. About Photoshop yeah. in my studio. Yes, I have Photoshop in my studio. Do I make my own brushes? No, I don't. And they're going, really? You don't, you don't make your own brushes? No, I, we do not. You're going, what Photoshop do you have? I said, it's like number four. And they were on six or whatever. Yeah, well, yeah. However it was. my What I had was like, was old. And they were like going, <laughs> they were going, man, because we we have been trying to figure out how do you got this thing with the colors doing this thing right here. Oh my God, that's beautiful. And I went, well, oh, thank you. So I said, you, I, I, so then right there, I'm going, so you liked all the backgrounds, love them. They're, they're wonderful. They're, they're wonderful. We don't, they're, it's, we're, we're done. So you but, were relieved because you were going to get paid. <laughs> we just had to ask you. And then they went, and I, I set them up because I said, uh, they, they said, um, oh, how did it go? Um, yeah. I'm going, did you like them? And they're going, oh, yeah, everything's good. Everything's approved. You're, you're done. Then they asked me, do you mind just asking who's the name of the person who painted this background? And I said, oh, that's Ann Gunther. Uh, she was told she was too old to, to work on Jungle Book 2. And you know what? <laughs> She worked on the original painting. Back. <laughs> That's fantastic. Just made three, five times more, you know? Oh my God. You guys got rid of all these people. And they're thinking that I trained her to work on a computer and she just kicked ass. Wow. <laughs> wow. So, so you, you kind of wrapped up things with animation. What did you move on to? What did you do? Um, did, did you kind I, of I, did you did you just put the word out like I'm retiring from animation or no? I just kind of simplified everything. Um, you closed down the studio in Toluca. Closed Lake. down the studio. You, you moved all your desk into your house. That's right. Everything, and um, I started focusing on the Magic Castle. I've been a member of the uh, and part of the Magic Castle. Forever, Joe. So you're, you're, yeah, you're a magician, right? A hobbyist, yeah. Okay, or I, I was going to say an amateur magician, but I don't want to insult you. No, it's it, that's that's true. It, that's that's okay. Exactly. A amateur thank, magician, thank but hobbyist with yeah. magic, and you're a member of the Magic Castle. Yeah, and Joe Rampton. I used to go. In fact, Joe was the one who took me there for the first time. Okay, and uh, way back in the, oh man. Might have been like the late seventies, and I, he he Joe was one of the most talented people I've ever known in my life. I mean, obviously, I, went on to I, 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 I think I think Joe was was one of the greatest story artists, uh, story ever. person yeah. of our generation. I mean, John Canemaker did a wonderful book, The Two Joes. Yeah. Joe Grant from the golden age and Joe Ramped from, you know, the Renaissance of animation, right. if you will. Uh, and, and, you know, he was up there with Bill Pete, you know, and I know you knew yeah. Bill Pete. Yeah. Bill Pete was my, my best buddy, but Joe, Joe was a fantastic magician. Could do anything with cards. He was so talented, even amongst the magicians at the magic castle, Joe had some special, uh, the 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 milk call of magic is this guy called Di Vernon. 
<laughs> he invented all the slights of sleight of hand when it comes to cards. Everything he, I mean, he wrote the book on it. He loved Joe. Yeah. Joe was a junior magician. As a teenager, you could join the castle and be part of the thing called the junior magicians. Yeah. And Joe blew him away. Yeah. And every time we would go to the, to the castle, we'd go hang out with, um, with Di Vernon. And I was like going, wow, I've got like an in with Di Vernon through my friend Joe. And it was fantastic. And so I got, I started to get more and more uh, involved at the castle. Then I started building uh, illusions for magicians. Um, and I got, I did it for everybody. And then um, we, I was doing a show with this, one of the best magicians ever, this guy named Rob Zabrecki. He's still around doing, he's mind blowing. He's the most unique um, character ever. Uh, I was working on a show with him where he, he, he asked me, he goes, Hey, I want to do this thing where I'm doing a show and the moon interrupts my show. And he, he, he the moon comes up to the magician and says, Hey, I'm, you know, I just want to say goodbye to you because you've always been really cool. Every night when you go to bed, you always say goodnight, Mr. Moon out your window. And he goes, I, I really like that. So I, I wanted to come by and personally say goodbye. You know, I'm, 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 I'm leaving, you know, the whole world evolves around the sun, you know, and all I get are, you know, vampires and uh, Dracula and all this stuff. He goes, I, I, I'm done. So I'm leaving. But I just wanted to say goodbye to you. And he's going, well, hey, Mr. Moon, it's like same way I could like change your mind, you know, sing a song, do a magic trick, maybe a, a dance or something. And the moon goes, well, maybe he goes, yeah, OK, well, yeah, that would be cool. And so he goes into a dance, singing a song, doing a magic trick. And it Blew everybody away. And so the moon, he was going, just, I want to have it on a piece of material, a blanket that comes, a painting of it comes down. We'll have some do the voice. I'm going, no, no, no. Let me make you a giant ventriloquist. Like, you know, yeah, I said, you remember the, the, the big moons that people used to sit on, have their, like in paper moon where they sit yeah. down on the chin. I said, yeah. I'm going to make you a moon that's made out of wood, painted to look dimensionally. And the mouth and the eyes will be on two connected to two rings that you can manipulate with your hand while you're when you sit on the chin. And I said, I'll build you some clouds. So you walk up, this, up these clouds to sit on the moon and have this conversation. And he goes, why? That would be fantastic. I said, oh, let me do it. Let me do that. I'd rather do that than a painting. Yeah. So we did this thing and it was it just brought the house down. It was the biggest show ever at the castle. And Ryan Gosling was in the audience and he came, I had already left, but Rob was backstage and Ryan Gosling said, Hey, can I talk to the magician? And so they brought him back and Rob talked to him and he goes, man, I want to, I want to do a, a project with you. And it's like you and whoever, or did you, is that moon? Is that from the twenties or, or did someone make it? He goes, Oh yeah, this, uh, my friend Dave Spafford made it. And he goes, can we get together like tomorrow? <laughs> 
And so Rob calls me up that night. It's like 11 o'clock at night. And he's going, hey, uh, Ryan Gosling just saw the show and just flipped out over it. And he wants to meet, have a meeting with both of us. So can I bring him over to your studio? And I went, uh, yeah. So, so, you know, Rob's coming over with Ryan Gosling and we're sitting in my house and he goes, well, he goes, just, just to, before we get into this, let me just sort of give you an idea of my background and what made me get into all of this, uh, into acting and everything. He's going, I don't know if you ever remember this film. It's pretty, you know, it was made a long time ago. It's probably, you guys aren't old enough, but it was this film called The Secret in M. And Rob goes, oh, Dave worked on that. And he just stopped and went, what? You worked on that? He goes, how old are you? And I went, well, I was 20 when I worked on that. And he just went. Hey, Ryan must have been a kid. He was a kid when he saw it. He was right? a kid. Yeah. He had painted the characters on the walls of his and his sister's bedroom mm. to where, I mean, I mean, and Little Mermaid. When he found out that I'd worked on Little Mermaid too, he was just like, what's beside, going on? He was beside himself. And then the, the, the kicker was he brought up Xanadu. And then Rob goes, oh, yeah, yeah, Dave worked on that, too. And so he goes, okay, <laughs> he goes, all right, I don't need to explain anything. Uh, you guys are why I am why I got into acting. And, and so he goes, I just, I want to do a TV show with all this craziness, just like whatever. You, you're the host. Rob, Rob would be the host. The moon or these characters or these things happen just like that show. And so we ended up developing a TV show where we could go anywhere in the world instantly. We worked out a thing and the house was this magical place where if you went into this cupboard, you know, it would, you could end up coming out of cupboard in Italy mm. or in London where a band was playing, you know, and then all of a sudden he'd be playing with the band, you know, Hey, what are you guys doing? You know? And anyways, so, so it was like this, cool idea for a TV show. We could come up, you know, we could do puppets, we could do animation, whatever door, whatever we chose to go through, it could be in that art form, you know? And so we sort of, we broke down this whole thing. He ended up going to Taipei to do the gods must be angry or something. It was a title, something like that. It was like some martial arts kind of weird film uh, and while he was over there, he couldn't leave his hotel room. So he just sat there and worked on this project. We yeah. turned it into a movie, but then because he was over there in this craziest place, every kind of was losing his mind. And it just, it just turned into a whole other thing. He comes back and he presents this to us and we're just going, Whoa, yes, let's do this. And so it turned into a live action film. And so I ended up storyboarding the whole film from start to finish every single shot. And it was a, it was a performance uh, storyboards rather than live action. It was, it was animation storyboards where right. characters are acting. It's not, here's a character and the arrow points this way. Oh, that means he walks that way. You know, we show him walking, you know, and so we ended up doing this thing and then, and then I, I, I built sets out of cardboard 
and we went to Detroit and shot this whole film. We had Saoirse Ronan. Um, we had Matt Smith. Uh, we had Christina Hendricks from Mad Men. What's the name of it? A uh, Lost River. Was it and released? It, yeah, yeah. It was. It it was a. It, here's how. Here's how it happened. R- Ryan and I sat across from each other at my at, on a, at a Disney desk here, and storyboard the whole thing. We then took it to Mark Platt at Warner Brothers. Ryan pitched it and we played music. We had music set to the storyboards and he pitched, he pitched it while, while the guy, while Mark Platt looked at this uh, animatic and he's like going, wow. He goes, he goes, how do you see this being done? And, and Ryan said, cause I was like, I'm like going, you know, this is, this is how this, we got to This is going to be like a, uh, a dream, you know, if we can just make this the way we want. So um, he goes, I want total control and $7 million. And Mark just went, let's do it. And and Ryan Gosling directed this. Yeah. It was his first, never directed anything. Right. This is his first, first, first time. And, um, and seven million dollars is like a rounding error at studios uh, today. I mean, when they're spent, when they're spending, you know, fifty, hundred, hundred and fifty, two hundred million on yeah. superhero movies and right. all of that. I mean, seven million dollars is like an indie budget, right? Because the money was nothing to them. They went, well, Ryan's been good with us. He just did Drive with Mark Platt, and you know, and all this stuff. And so he was just going, you know what? Ryan's been, Ryan's been good to us. Let's just let him, let, let's let him make this film. Now that's never going to be a film where Warner brothers is going to put a whole shitload of 200,000 into publicity and making prints to go into a hundred theaters or more. They weren't, they weren't going to, that this film did not, qualify for that that's for when you put that money into a film that caught they would you've spent 200 million on right right you know you have to have a sell so everything goes into those films this was this was just a thing that was going to be in the theaters for a brief moment yeah and then on on then it's going to be on uh, amazon prime or netflix and stuff like that which is what it ended up in but it's the coolest project I have. It's my favorite project that I've ever worked on. It is so weird. It is so bizarre. It was like a, the whole thing was like a, a weird miracle that it even happened. We we made that in D, the downtown Detroit, which was a ghost like town. <laughs> ghost town by you can by saying those words, you can't even begin to explain to anybody how insanely dangerous it was. Yeah, it was. It was a ghost town filled with living, breathing zombie crackheads. Yeah, yeah. And we dove right into the middle of it and made this film. And when people came out of their houses to go, what the, you know, hey, what what are you guys doing, you know? Right. And we would put them in the film. And so they ended up being our friends. And we had no problems making that film. And it's an... 
when you look at that film, uh, Guillermo del Torres um, at the uh, uh, Southwest by Southwest uh, or whatever, whatever that uh, the Texas. Um, yeah. South by Southwest Festival. That, that's yeah, that that's what it is um, at that. We, we showed it at that. And Guillermo del Torres got up and said, everybody go see this film. He interviewed Ryan on, on a stage in front of yeah. him. He goes, everybody go see this film. This guy made a $200 million film for $7 million. <laughs> I'm going to have to watch this because I have it not looks, seen this film and I'm going to, I'm going to search, search it out and see if I can. Uh, it's when you watch that film and you see all this stuff happening in it, picture someone spending money on it. Yeah. I'm going to watch it on Apple TV because it it's looks available like, on it. Yeah. It's on Apple TV for two ninety nine. I, I got to ask this question because a couple of our listeners had sent notes in about it, but you used to have some infamous, infamous Friday night parties at your house. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and I, I just want to ask you, when did they start and when did they end? And what was the, what was the th thinking about it? Was it just a, a end a week, uh, you know, blow off steam? No, it was real simple. Um, spending 10 months in uh, England on Roger Rabbit, getting used to going out after you've had a full day's work or sometimes even into the night, everybody would come around going, hey, you feel like a pint? And you go, Perfect. Let's go. Edge of, was it edge of the world or end of the world in Camden? The, world, the world's end. The world's end. Thank you. The world's end pub, which was just down the road, uh, uh, just down the high street from yeah. the Camden town studio. Yeah. Yeah. So we would, we would go out and have a beer and we're all talking about the film. And so here we are having a drink, being relaxed. You can say whatever you want. And you could talk about stuff. You could sit there and go, eh, hey, I was just, uh, hey, I saw you, you're doing a scene with the rabbit. Uh, I did a scene with, with his, with his um, thing, and we did this with the ears, or we did this with his bow tie. You know, it seems to work. And, and so that, the idea that you're communicating with somebody about what you're working on or what you've just worked on, and so to give them like, oh, hey, do, make sure you do this. The, the communication between animators was so great because we were hanging out in the pubs and we're still working. Yeah. Yeah. We're, exactly. we're talking about sequences that we're working on and that never happened at Disney for me. I mean, everybody went home or they went to church or something, you know, these guys, they drink, they were drinking, you know, it was, I was more at home. The, the people in England seem more like the, the animators and people, in the forties than yeah. the people I was working with at Disney. But, but, but the culture in England was always that um, it, it was a pub culture. 100%. You know, it, it was, it was part of socializing, right? You know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like you're going to a CD bar. There was the local pub, uh, yeah. you know, uh, on every street practice. It was an extension of your house. Yeah. And, and in your neighborhood, you had your local and that's where everybody went. You met up with people, you'd have right, a right. pint. It wasn't that people were going there and getting ripped and, you know, this, that, or the other thing. It, it, it was more, 
what I'm trying to say is, is it was more socializing uh, on a somewhat regular basis right. uh, than than it was in the United States. Yeah, because you didn't want to go around and bug someone while they're at work. They had to take their headphones off and go, oh, you know, it was like you just walked up to a pub and everybody's sitting there and it's like, oh, and now you could now you could let some steam out and talk about this and that and you know and it it was fantastic so when i came back i ended up going you know let's try to do this with people at disney let's meet at a bar hang out and it it just it did it didn't work it didn't work and you know, because because again you know you didn't have as many uh, sort of local pubs. And then some of those bars, you know, that, that are around were like seedy places. Yeah. You had old drunk sitting at the, at the, you know, the bar, yeah. uh, you know, they they were just not the kind of place to go to socialize, you no. know, and, yeah, the bar, the bars here were different. Yeah. So we tried, it didn't work. So we went, you started going to like, uh, we go I to mean, a- they, had, they had they had like Timmy Nolan's over in uh, in Toluca Lake for a while. Remember right. that place? And, and that was kind of like an Irish pub to some degree. We we tried it, but we found that as soon as you're you're talking about something, the waitress come up and they're going, "I can get you guys." Uh, yeah. They would just cut right in, and then you're like, "Going, where was I at when I was talking to you?" Yeah, yeah. So it was like having someone come in and uh, wanted to order drinks in the middle of your meeting. Yeah. It didn't work. Yeah. So I just thought, you know what? So Deb and I thought we, we were toying with the idea of redoing this house. Yeah. And so it was, uh, you know what, before we do that, let's, let's turn the whole house into a pub. Yeah. You know, front room already had a pool table in it because Kent Kent Holiday and I put that in there when we used to rent this house because we we rented this house to turn it into a recording studio. <laughs> and um, but then we both went our own ways and and uh, you know and so and then now, you and then you bought the house. I, I yeah, I bought it three years after we rented it, and from Judy Vitale who who was Tom Jones uh, in publicity at Disney, uh, her his assistant uh, with Ludwig and Judy Vitale uh, yeah. was a, uh, a main person in, in the, in the publicity department, which changed publicity for the whole film industry. Yeah. Uh, Tom Jones, Arlene Ludwig and Judy Vitale. It was her house. She's said, Hey, I, you know, I uh, just want to let you guys know, I'm going to put this house up for sale. And so I went, Oh, I'll buy it. And, um, and so I ended up owning the house and we turned the whole thing. I got, we got pinball machines, a, we buy a, a, a jukebox, uh, slot machines. Um, I, I, by the way, I, I did, uh, get a, a, an image from Dean Taylor from Australia. He had done a drawing of, uh, Spaff's house, 1993, 
And it was sort of a down shot that showed the pinball machines and somebody at a pool table. Oh, it was it. really kind of a fun drawing. I'll, I'll send it to you via email, oh, but, it, it, but it was really kind of fun to see that, but, but it was really meaningful to a lot of people. And, and the one thing I did want to point out was, and I don't know if you still have the Pago Pago sign. I do, but you, you, yeah. So, so just for our listeners, uh, just across the street from the Walt Disney Studios, there was a strip center that had a bar in it called the Pago Pago. And it was a ring hole for some of the old timers during lunchtime. Yeah. They'd go over and have a few drinks before they come back for they'd have a liquid lunch, so to speak. But when they uh, Disney bought the property and went and tore it all down to put in a daycare center. Yeah, for the studio employees. And you were able to get the Pago Pago neon sign. Yeah, I was um, uh, Adrian Marler, who was one of the uh, artists on Roger Rabbit. He was from England. He came out and stayed with us and and just to see California. And and so we're in the car and we drove by showing him where the Disney studio was and they were tearing down the Pago. And I went, oh, no. So I stopped the car. I get out and I ran. I looked for I said, who's in charge here? And I went, oh, that guy right there. And I went. Hey, what's going on? He goes, oh, it's, it's all going to the, everything's going to the dump where they're, they're leveling this whole block. And I went, what? And I said, I said, what about the sign? He's going, it's all going. I said, can I buy the sign off you? He goes, what do you want to pay? And I went, I have no idea. I've never thought about buying a sign. It's just, it, it means something to me because that, I used to work right there, the Disney studio, and this is where all the animators used to go. And he goes, 20 bucks. I went, <laughs> really? How, how could you not take it for $20, right? But he goes, we're, we're, we're meant to get this out of here today, so you've got to come get it. So I immediately get in the car. We drove back to my house, got big wrenches and gloves and everything. We climb up on the roof, which is just now, it's only two by fours, you know, or two by sixes that they've ripped the roof off everything, yeah. skinny boards. And we get up there and I go, oh my God, I thought this thing was like five feet tall, but it was actually really high off the ground. Yeah, yeah. It was like 15 or feet tall or more. And I went, oh, look at those bolts. They're, they're like these big inch and a half thing thick bolts in there. They were rusted in 1939. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going, no wonder he sold it to me for 20 bucks. It's like, it's going to be impossible. So I'm sitting there going, what can we do? What if we cut the pole 75% and then slowly bend the pole over to street level? It, it might come down fast and crash, or it'll bend down slowly and we'll have to pull it down, bend it. But it's all we got. We got. We have to get this out of here now. Yeah. This guy comes walking up behind me on the on the roof, and he goes, "Hey, you want to sell the sign?" And I went, "Well, we just kind of bought it, but we have no idea how to get down." He goes, "He goes, oh, well, he goes. I was driving by. He goes, I, I'm head of the uh, the prop department over at uh, Universal. Uh, we saw it, and we thought, well, oh, let's buy this sign. I always I always buy signs when they're tearing down buildings, and yeah. we put them, we just put them out in the field." You know, and they 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 want to use them. They use them. Yeah. And he goes, um, he gives me a card. He goes, call this guy. He'll come over here for a hundred, hundred, hundred fifty dollars. He'll 
cut the bolts off. He'll connect a crane to it. He'll lift it up over the telephone wires and he'll set it right down in your truck. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. So we, we brought it over here. The guy ended up mounting it on the garage above the garage. And I rebuilt the whole inside of the garage to look like the, the, the Pago Pago. <laughs> now, what did your neighbors say about the sign? Uh, a couple of them hated it. Yeah. Well, but what happened was, is one of the Disney lawyers, because the LA Times did an article about the Friday night parties, and they, yeah. showed, they, they talked about the sign. Yeah. And so I get a call from this guy, Paul, something at Disney. He was one of the lawyers. And he goes, he goes, yeah, I just saw in the thing here that you have the, uh, the Pago Pago sign. We saw that being lifted and put into a truck. I could see that out my window when, when, uh, when that happened. Yeah. We were wondering where it went. He goes, it, he goes, it, it obviously went to you. Um, how did you get permission to have to, for the sign? I said, the guy who was tearing down the building, he goes, well, you know what? He had no right to sell it to you. So technically it's ours. Oh no, really? He goes, he goes, um, we, we want the sign. And I went, you know what? I don't know who you are, but I, 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 I'm, you know, kiss my ass. <laughs> I then started brewing on it. I called up Roy Disney and said, Hey, there's this guy. He's, he actually works in your building. Uh, he's threatening to get the sign. He's like going the sign you saved. He goes, I heard about it. You saved the sign. You put it on, you, you rebuilt it. Right. And I said, yeah. And I said, well, there's a guy, this Paul something, uh, in your, he goes, Oh yeah. Yeah. He goes, don't worry about it. And that was the end of it. And he went down the hall and told this guy, Oh, you're fucking with this guy, huh? <laughs> it was over with. I, I, and by the way, uh, I mean, he was technically right because if Disney bought the, the strip center and was having it leveled, they actually owned it. Right. Well, it was, but, but, but everything, but everything was going to the dump. Right. So the fact that you salvaged it and, and, and then had the neon repaired, right. Yep. And made it working again. Uh, yep. I, I mean, the guy was just being a prick about it. It sounds like, Oh I, yeah, I know. And yeah, because all that was on that little strip was Jack in the Box and the Pago. Right. And, well, I mean, that, and, the, no, the, and, and there was a little building right D next Disney to the Travel. There, there was D Disney, the Disney Travel office was there. Yeah, it was it a little strip center with, with the Pago Pago was sort of in the middle. Right. And then there was the Disney Travel office Wedemco. on one side. Yeah. It was Wedemco that was there. Then it turned into a travel thing or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was Disney travel. I, I remember yeah, so they, and, they and the, the jack in the box. Yeah. But here's a cool thing about it. During this during the strike, the nineteen forty strike, Bruce McIntyre, who was John Lounsbury's assistant, um figured out that if he opened up the manhole in the parking lot of the Pago behind the Pago, yeah. that went right to the back near the back door of ink and paint. Yes. There was, there so, was uh, by the berm. There was a, yeah. there was like, it was like a drainage pipe, Yeah, but a large, a large drainage pipe that yeah, you it wasn't crouch sewer. down. It was, no, but it was for water. Yeah. And, and it was, and, and it was big enough that if you just kind of crouched down, you could walk through it. 
Yeah. So he had to lift yeah. the manhole off, go down. And so during the strike, Bruce McIntyre started going into the studio during the strike. And then he started telling everybody, everybody started parking in the neighborhood behind the Pago. <laughs> that little side, that little odd shoot uh, street. Yeah. And everybody was going in, never crossing the picket line. And it's how they, it's how they finished, um, 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 Dumbo. Yeah. By yeah. It, it was, it was those artists who, who decided yeah. not to go out on strike that was still working there, but. Yeah. but and no one were, can figure out how they, how, yeah. they, how are you guys getting in there? That's awesome. What yeah, a great it was, story. It was very cool. But the Pago, I mean, the, the, the Friday night parties was, um, it was great because we opened it up to anybody in animation. Right. And you'd walk in here and you'd see Ralph Bakshi talking to Bob Kurtz. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, it, it was a who, it was a who's who of the animation industry. Yeah. I mean, we had a hundred people yeah. in here or yeah. more. Every and, 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 and so how long was it going on for seven years? And, and what, what made you stop? Um, people got so used to it that they, they would go out and have a good time having dinner, go hang out somewhere with some friends. And then they would all show up at 1230. And I went, no, no, no. This whole idea of this thing is literally after work, after work, we all come, we hang out together. I'm not, you're not, this isn't a party where you wait until it's rolling. Then you show up. Right. Right. And so it started to be that. It was and, more of a hassle. Yeah. Was it a was it a bring your own or were were, yes. were you supplying all the booze? No, but everybody brought their own. Yeah. And everybody was more than generous. So it's like it, there was always like way too much. People would always bring way too much. Right. And then it was open. Then it was then we would go then I would call people and say, Don't bring booze and say we have so much beer and wine. Yeah, and just drink everything. what's here. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, and we would go for a long period of time uh, for free. Yeah. Did you, did you have any problems with the neighborhood uh, yeah. doing this every Friday night? Yeah. Um, how, how often did the police show up? Uh, they quite a few times in the very beginning. Um, but did you get to know them? Did they, did they yes. sort of like uh, drop by everybody from the very beginning? I said, when you come to this house, do not park anywhere on my street. Park out yeah. on Camarillo where it's the big street. Yeah. It's all apartments out there. Yeah. And on my street, it's like, these are my neighbor's houses. They want to park in front of their house. And if every Friday they're going to lose it. Yeah. Yeah. And so people would call because they could see people walking to this house every Friday and they, you know, and they were carrying beer and stuff. And they said it was the drug house or something, right? They, they said all kinds of stuff. And so the cops would come here and knock on the door. And one time, they, they, like the first time the cop knocked on the door, someone goes, hey, there's a cop at the door. So I go, I walk over and they went, uh, yeah, we had a call that you were having a party. It was out of control. He goes, but we, it took us about 15 minutes to find your house. <laughs> I said, he goes, if this is, he goes, where are all these people parked? And I said, I haven't parked out on the big street. So not to bother the neighbors. I said, no one hangs outside. No one is allowed to talk when they go to their car. 
or to leave beer bottles in the gutter. I, I don't allow anybody to bring, to uh, take any bottles with them, a half a yeah. beer, nothing. You're not allowed to. That's Those were the house rules. And, and, I, and I, I said, come inside. And I shut the door. And on the back of the door was the house, house, house rules. And, and the guy goes, wow. He goes, it looks like you have everything pretty much under control. And, and all of a sudden Mark, I mean, um, uh, Roger Chason. Oh yeah. Pool table. And he bumps into me, he goes, Oh, sorry. And he, he turns around and he's got, and I told it, I told the cops, I said, everybody, I said, we all work at Disney. We do kids cartoons. We just play pool on Friday. And, um, I said, most of these guys drink non-alcohol beer. Roger bumps into me, turns around, and he has a sharp spare bottle. And the cop just goes, look, you guys, you guys have this under control. Uh, <laughs> have a great time. Keep doing what you're doing. And they started giving tickets to the uh, $70 tickets to the people who were calling the cops, saying that there was an out-of-control party. Wow, that's awesome. It was. That's it awesome. Was, it was really great. Hey, Dave. I, I can't tell you how great this conversation has been. Uh, it's just, I, I mean, so much fun. I want to have you back on the show again, you know, and, and go in depth a little bit on uh, the silhouettes you're cutting at the magic castle. And also I, I still want to get to, I want to have a, a nice relaxed conversation with you about the state of animation today. Okay. So, uh, so I will, I'll be in touch. We'll arrange that. We'll make that a standalone, but, um, I mean, unprecedented five-part interview with Dave Spafford. (laughs) I mean, this is, this has been so great and I'm sure that I'm sure that this will be reverberating for a while. So, well, I don't work anywhere, so I can't be fired. (laughs) I can say whatever I want. See, that's everybody's problem. I like your attitude, my friend. I will talk to you soon. Thanks for being on the Skull Rock Podcast. You got it, buddy. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List Podcast, as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast, here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney? They can contact me at themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. Your attention, please. (laughs) Now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. (laughs) I love the story about the sign in, in his home bar. I mean, can you imagine going down the street and seeing, you know, uh, you know, the, seeing the, 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 pago, the pago pago the pago lit pago lit up and i'm thinking to myself gosh you know all i <laughs> I, I just am wandering down the street and literally the street is lighting up uh lighting up the neighborhood like a vegas sign <laughs> i could just 
<laughs> well, you know something? I it was just fantastic to have Dave for the last five weeks. Yes, uh, on, on the show, and the storytelling has been fantastic. It's just really enjoyable. Yeah, uh, he is a great, great guy, great personality to have on the show. We look forward to having him back to talk more of a more of a deep dive. I think you know we we skimmed over a lot of things. We did talk a lot, uh, which I appreciated of. Um, of who framed Roger rabbit over the course of the five episodes, but I'd love to hear more about space jam. I mean, what he did in the film and how the executive talk talks. I mean, is that indicative about, you know, um, uh, of your, your experience, Dave, with some of these, you know, execs outside of Disney that don't really understand animation, you know, they just a little bit of a blockhead. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, honestly, uh, there are from time to time you run into BS artists, as I would call them. You know, they don't know anything about the animation medium, but they're trying to pretend they do, you know, and uh, it, it, you know, it's just the nature of uh, of the industry. There's a lot of people out there that are just BSing their way through. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, uh, someone I love, uh, Dave, thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you, our our great listener. Thank you for listening and liking and sh- subscribing and sharing this show on social media. Thanks to all of our friends out there. Um, you, know, like, oh, boy, you see, even myself, I'm, I'm thanking myself. Thank you, uh, Al John. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for sharing this show. We do appreciate it. And once again... If you love this show, you love Disney, you love pop culture, please consider subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're everywhere. iHeartRadio, Sorcerer Radio, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts. You listen to us on Apple, don't you, Dave? Uh, no, I actually listen on Spotify. Oh, you listen on Spotify? There you go. Yeah, I There do. you go. About 15% of our listening audience does. Everybody else All listens right. uh, apparently on, on Apple. Uh, Apple Google and uh, and also Amazon and Amazon know, of you, course. You know, if you've got an Amazon device, all you need to say is uh, Alexa, play uh, Skull Rock podcast, <laughs> and she'll she'll play the latest episode for you. Yeah. In the meantime, all of our listeners that have that enabled are like, oh my gosh, it's pinging everywhere now. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> see, I can say that because I'm not in my office yeah, today. See? I'm, in, I'm in a hotel room, <laughs> and I don't have an Alexa device here. <laughs> you see, you could say that, and then like I, I you know, it's Alexa is like the 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 dog in the room that's like you said my name you said my name my ears are perfect uh anyway follow us on all the socials as well we're on x formerly twitter also uh, dave and i are both individually on linkedin and you can find us on facebook and instagram also the best way to check us out really uh in my opinion is facebook because you know everybody sees the post and everything that we're doing uh you can also email us to david skullrockpodcast.com or aljohn at skullrockpodcast.com and a quick shout out to our, our friends uh, there at Sorcerer Radio, srsounds.com, all Disney music all day long. Uh, great supporters of the show. And of course, uh, uh, the sister podcast that I host, the Dining at Disney podcast with my wife, Kristen, and Kat R. Corey. Um, we talk about Disney food every week, so I'd love for you guys to give it a listen. All right. Dave, you got the final word. Well, Al John, uh, I did an interview on Disney Coast to Coast, and that's Disney with a Z. Uh, Disney Coast to Coast, and I talked for almost an hour about Walt Disney and the connection to Cal Arts. It was really a little bit of history of, uh, of California Institute of the Arts. So you could check that out on any of the podcast platforms, Disney with a Z, 
coast to coast. Uh, and I also want to mention, and, and Al John, you mentioned it earlier in the show, but um, uh, you know, I received author copies of my Nightmare Before Christmas visual companion book. Uh, which is finally out. I've talked about this book for quite a number of years, but I actually have copies in hand, and it's a gorgeous book. It really is stunning. Uh, thanks to the folks at Disney Editions uh, for, for really putting in the care to put out this beautiful book. Um, uh, so that's available. Uh, it's releasing a week from tomorrow, Tuesday the 26th, uh, of September. So you can get that uh, wherever you buy your books, online or at local uh, book retailers. Uh, and of course, the House of the Future book has been shipped to those who pre-ordered an author signed copy. Now, if you want to get an author, author signed copy, you can go to theoldmillpress.com theoldmillpress.com and you'll be able to find not only signed copies of the house of the future which will ship right away but you'll also be able to get a house of the future pop-up card if you want to get one there's a video of it on on the old mill press website so check that out when you have a second and with that i would say to everybody go out and have a fantastic week be nice to one another and we'll see you back here next Monday, right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast is made possible by listeners like you. We'd love to thank Charles, Lindsay, Spencer, and Joshua. To support this podcast to sustain future episodes, visit anchor.fm forward slash Skull Rock Podcast.